Good day, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast, where we will uh, chat with Marius Swart a bit more on assignments and uh, unpacking that a bit. So this is Elsie Leroux, and again with me, Anneli Arndor. Let's talk transformative assessment. Yeah, so today we have um, Marius Swart with us. Hello. Marius, uh, hello Marius, how are you? Fine, thanks, yourself? Very well, thank you. Marius is from the Department of Afrikaans and Dutch. Yes, right? yes. Marius, it's lovely having you here today and thank you for agreeing to, um, you know, to sit on the hot chair. So Marius, maybe just before we um, dive into assignments and um, you know, sharing more of your practice with us, um, maybe just some context. What, what do you teach, modules, etc.? Yes, um, I'm in the Department of Afrikaans and Dutch, as you said. Um, contrary to popular belief, we do also speak English and a few <laughs> other languages because, of course, um, our department houses the translation, um, editing and interpreting section. So we also have postgrad programs in um, language practice, basically. We've changed our honours program's name um, to the Honours in Language Practice, working on some stuff related to that. But, um, yeah, for the purposes of this discussion, I also teach um, Afrikaans and Dutch at undergraduate level and postgraduate level. Um, f- before, we had a kind of a very clear split between the people doing literature and those doing linguistics. Um, we've faded out that um, split in recent years. Um, but technically speaking, I am a sociolinguist. Um, I work on language politics, language planning, language policy, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we, we have these... Um, core modules in our undergraduate offering and one of them um, at third year level is called Afrikaans binnen meertalige verband so that would probably translate as Afrikaans in a multilingual context um, it's the title of the course is actually sort of borrowed from a former colleague of ours um, who wrote an article or chapter in a book um, with the same title and yeah um, that's what the course is about it's about this reality of afrikaans um the political socio-political very complex history of the language and its position in yeah present-day south africa so we try to look at sort of where it came from where it is now and where we think it might be going and um that's where i use this specific assignment that we'll be discussing today fascinating and um I think we should mind our language then today. (laughs) No, please don't. (laughs) Um, Marius, I can imagine that in a subject like Afrikaans and specifically in the context that you provided us, that assignments um, is, um, how can I say, like a, almost like a default way of assessing. Um, And um, yeah, and I think given that context, uh, it can always, um, I suppose, be a challenge to, you know, keep that innovative in a way. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, maybe if you can share some, because um, it came onto our radar that uh, you you have done something called creative response. Yes, um, it's an idea I read about, um, yeah, some time ago. Um, they tried with um, school children, with sort of 16 to 18 year olds initially in the example I read about. Um, in our third year module, we have two semester modules, so this is in the first semester module. Um, students have uh, five or six electives and they need to do any four, so they basically have a free choice. This can be some Afrikaans literature, some Dutch literature, some linguistics, um, some language practice oriented stuff. There's quite a wide selection. So. Um, just to structure all of this, um, typically for each um, component of the module, 
you'll have one lecture per week for the duration of the semester. And some of us use TUTs as well. The default option is that um, you will have in the course of your module at least one test and one essay assignment, and then you fill the rest out with, I mean, MCQs and quizzes and all sorts of nice formative stuff as well. Um, so a few years ago, we ran into a situation where we had, I think, seven elective options in that module. And all of this actually started off with a scheduling conflict um, because there wasn't a test slot available for myself. And I thought, well, okay, let's let's try to to use this to our advantage because I had gotten the feeling that the test isn't really the optimal way to, well, to test or to assess um, what I think students should take away from this course. So I decided to drop the, um, the weight of the test and then I had to make that up somewhere else. So in the first um, assignment for this specific course, um, students do, uh, I call it old fashioned, but just because it's something they're used to, a proper transcription assignment. So it's sociolinguistics. So they go out, they interview someone, they transcribe this person's language um, to get them sensitized to the richness of all the varieties of Afrikaans. Then in the second part of the course, I give them some, um, some more technical language policy and planning um, inputs. And we, we kind of train them formally in the science of language planning. And then right at the end, um, I have them do this specific assignment, which is a creative response. Um, there was a book in the middle 80s when a number of, I think, very forward thinking um, linguists started considering what will happen to Afrikaans in the new South Africa. Um, people like Fritz Bunielis, Christoph van Rensburg, and a few others. And this book was titled um, Afrikaans Stunt Talk in Tukoms. And I thought that this is actually kind of a nice theme for a possible assessment. Yeah, so then I started thinking, well, how do we gauge um, something that students feel very strongly and passionately about? Because the students um, electing to take Afrikaans and Dutch as a major subject um, have, have a strong opinion about the subject and about the language as a matter of course. So I was looking for something that could harness some of that passion, but still keep it something that could be assessed in a, a kind of a, um, yeah, a authoritative and kind of objective academic way. So my idea was to give them some room to play because I believe very firmly in the value of sort of, you know, making mud, mud, you know, throwing mud at the wall and seeing what sticks. That's kind of the, the approach. Um, and yeah, I thought let's have them do something creative, which is all fine and well, but I mean, I'm not equipped to grade or to assess um, all kinds of different products. I mean, they can, they can do anything. I mean, they can do a piece of landscape art. They can make a video. They can write a song. They can write some poetry. They can do a painting. They can make a sculpture. I don't really mind what they do, but um what I gave them along with that assignment is that they have to write up an annotation where they discuss their own work in a self-reflective fashion. Um, and I think it's in the self-reflection that's actually what I'm trying to assess. Um, we find, and I think I might be giving away my age, but we do find that our students sometimes struggle with um, kind of externalizing abstract ideas and thought. And I think giving them the opportunity to, to create something purely based on feeling and then having to step away from it and having to observe it and discuss it in academic terms using the theory they bring from the course, using hopefully a kind of self-insight they garnered through the course of the work. 
um, yeah, that's what we try to do. So um, that's the that's the the long version of the story. I love how you actually brought in um, many aspects of the being being a student. Mm-hmm. So it's not only the cognitive ability um, that's in there, but it's it's merging the mind, the cognitive um, ability, the heart, the affect. Um, and then also the critical reflection on one's own work and you know, bringing almost a, a facet of, of a different dimension into that. And um, do you find that the students find it difficult to, to step away, just like you know, take a different lance or stance on the work that they have produced? Yes. Um, almost invariably, I find that... Um, this this uh, the initial discussion of this assignment is met with consternation and chaos um they they kind of i always tell them look you're you're blue screening because they look at you like you know dear coordinate lights and they want to know well um yeah but 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 um what's the word count and um how many references do i need and they they're very much they have this ingrained idea of there's a minimum requirement that you have to meet um and it's because that's also a personal pet peeve of mine. Um, they tend to get bogged down in word counts and numbers of references and a maximum turn it in score and that kind of stuff. So I try to kind of break down that wall and get them to just engage with the actual content of the module and with the kinds of thoughts that I present to them from week to week from our theory um, in order to get them to have an emotional response, I mean, I call it a creative response, but it, in a, in a, to a large extent, it's an emotional response because an emotional response kind of, um, you know, it's, it's almost automatic with the subject matter. And they struggle at first to see how that can be kind of, you have a golden thread running through that to your own academic work. And I try to get them to the point where they hopefully start realizing as people who will hopefully be postgrads within a few months that in the very first instance, you have to start out with something that triggers some sort of response with you. Um, if you're in our faculty, we don't have the structure where you're going into a certain professor's lab and you're going to do some subsection of that professor's bigger project. Um, many of our assessments are predicated on that kind of structure. And I've tried to sort of reverse engineer from what will they have to do in our honors program and going forward. And I think much of the challenge in many humanities subjects in the broad sense is that the projects and the fields and the topics have to be mostly self-generated. There isn't someone who's going to tell you, I'm working on this massive food security project and you're going to study maize and you're going to study wheat and you're going to study GMO crops. And the hope is that by getting them to start off with what, tickles me and what triggers me and what elicits some kind of response from myself to get them to a point where they can contextualize that academically and still explain in an academic fashion and using the normal scientific method what it means and how it means something to other people, hopefully. Sure, Marius, that's um, so interesting. Um, You started by saying that you had the feeling that the exam was not um, achieving what you had hoped it would achieve or what you had hoped they would take away. Um, It strikes me that this is quite a brave move to make. So I'm I'm wondering from your side then what you learned 
in which ways did you, how did this respond to your initial problem of um, the exam not doing what you're hoping it's doing? I think um, I think it's a matter of um, creating more kinds of um, assessments for different personalities. I almost said learning styles, but that's too problematic nowadays. Um, I think I think what I tried to do is it it started off with an initial frustration about the final exam. I still have a big final test, but what I try to go for is to think in terms of how do students perform and why do they perform better in certain kinds of assessments and worse in others in a way that doesn't really match what I perceive to be their ability. Um, we all have this anecdotal idea, you know, some students are good at assignments and others are good at tests. And I thought going by that logic, if we can have another type of assessment, maybe we're giving someone else an opportunity to really perform optimally. And that's what we've seen. Um, we, we have students typically the ones who do best in your formal exams um, aren't necessarily at the top of the marks list in this one. And you you get a kind of a different cohort of students really performing because I think it speaks to a different kind of ability. Mm. So you mentioned a little earlier that these are students that just are just a few months away from starting with graduate or postgraduate work then, as we call it here. Um, and it reminds me a lot of what you say, reminding me of a previous person we had in that same chair um, who comes from the sciences and actually also has have her students self-generate their topics um, on third year level. Um, and we asked her this question as well. Do you feel that this gives you extra information when you get to that point of, of allowing students into your postgraduate programs? Because quite often... That's, we, we have multiple marks based on which we do it, but that, what I pick up from people is that that's not always enough of an indicator of someone, what someone would be able to do um, in postgrad work. Yes, um, I don't think there's a, there's a kind of a direct line into you know, some new admissions criterion or something like that, but I do think it, it tells us something that we, it gives us info we didn't have before. Um, in terms of um, something like the breadth of a reference framework, um, something like ability to to think creatively about challenges, um, the ability to do time management. Um, this is a it's a it's an an assignment that they have to structure very well. I give it to them long before the due date. They have six or seven weeks to do it, um, and a part of the test is for them to do it in good time and to finish it in time and i think i think it gives them opportunities to um to show non-traditional abilities that we aren't assessing with other assessments um i don't think yeah it, it's not taken into account formally in terms of you know if they if there's kind of a it's kind of a borderline scenario where we're going to use this specifically um for admissions or anything like that but i do think um we have seen uh, there's a different correlation between our good postgraduate students and the people who did well in this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's more, that, that's an excellent answer. That's sort of what I was after. Um, and the fact that it, it gives more of them, it might give some of them an opportunity to shine that wouldn't normally um, be able to do it as well through the more traditional methods. Yeah, because very often, because we, as I said before, I'm not equipped and I don't think it's fair in a, I mean, it's still the subject Afrikaans and Dutch, to give people marks for how well they can draw or paint or sculpt. But um, you become aware of abilities that, 
I mean, in your class, um, within your students that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. Um, in terms of these artistic works they make, we do we do a small exhibition to um, our student society and the department staff and a few um, sort of invited guests at a later point in the year um, where we just focus on the products they made in terms of we, we display the videos, we put out the little board games and the wonderful stuff they do. And I think it, it gives people who aren't just your top performers in terms of tests, uh, yeah, a chance to be noticed and a chance to be appreciated for what they can do well. Yeah, and in a way it does feed in through their performance in these specific assessments. So you don't have to have specific criteria around other things because they had the opportunity to show this. I think I'll say it, what I, what I really like what I'm hearing here is that focus on the individual, on, on, without focusing on the individual, but giving an opportunity to display a wide range of abilities. Um, which I think is in line with our moves towards taking into account the the person um, in our assessment practices. Yeah, and apart from that, um, Hanley, I think what also stands out for me, um, Marius, is you mentioned um, how it came abroad that you know this this um, type of essay or assignment evolved, mm -hmm. and um, and it also speaks to um, some adapt adaptability. Um, from you as a, as a facilitator of learning. And then also reflecting on the adaptability of our students, um, especially where they, more often than not, where they come from, this is also very new to them, right? Absolutely. And to almost like have this freedom to create <laughs> is for some very new, because it's always like in this, within this inboxed structures, ways of assessment, etc. Um, but yeah, it, it, it asks of you to adapt mm -hmm. in this situation. And it's actually beautiful how in other podcasts we had as well, where external forces basically sort of forced, for lack of a better word, use the facilitator of learning, educator, lecturer to think anew yeah. about your assessments. Um, also in this instance, there is um, one thing I'm wondering, and that's more putting the focus now on the students. Um, what are the feedback that you get from your students? Uh, how do they experience this um, way of assessment? There's this expression where people say it's a, it's it's marmite, so um, they either love it or they hate it. Um, there are strong opinions about this, but I think the the vast majority of the students really enjoy it because it's something different. Um, I think where you're at the point, um, I mean, not to generalize, but when you get to the point where you're working with 40, 50 odd students in the final year of a BA program, um, doing wonderful stuff. I mean, many of the music students, many of them drama students, many of them doing language and culture and that kind of stuff. Um, you're working with a very particular kind of cohort as well. Um, and there's, I mean, there are vast differences between them, but they do, they do have certain commonalities as well. And I think um, I tend to see that the students who, who perform well in this um, assignment, as I said, are the ones who don't perform well in the more traditional things. And they tend to be appreciative of it, but they, I mean, they really moan and it's a gnashing of teeth. And um, they're always very excited when I pitch this because I, I, I take kind of half of a lecture period to talk them through this assignment. And it's, I mean, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed and going for it. And then in about 10 days time, you start getting these emails. Yeah, but but how do I and what and can I do this and how and and it, and you really spend lots of time breaking them out of that mold of having to force a very big idea about conceptually very complicated things into sort of you know 
intro, body, conclusion, five to eight pages with a minimum of 12 references because they're so conditioned to think that that's the only way in which you can express an academic engagement with a topic that they really struggle to break out of it. I think that's where the resistance comes from. But the, the, the majority of the students do seem to, yeah, they do seem to enjoy it, which is why I've, I've kept doing it. Um, I've tweaked it through the years. Um, I tried to get them away from written creative responses because many of them, because they are literature students, many of them, they, they default to writing you know, some poems or a short story. Um, so I tried to, to nudge them in a different direction to get them to do something different and non-traditional and challenging in a, yeah, in a different way. Because I, I always start them off in the first year by giving them the whole speech about involving more of your senses when you're studying, you know, and sort of using a paper to take your notes and doing that kind of stuff. And then I try to draw that through at third year level and say, well, now we're going to see whether you can apply these strategies that you've hopefully um, used as learning strategies when, when doing your own work and when creating something. Yeah, um, it also feels to me like um, you you're also touching on the the whole idea of assessment is not something just separate, but it forms part of our teaching learning, mm-hmm. and and therefore our curriculum. And what also stands out for me is that it's it's you also showcasing that it's more um, there is more than just the academic curriculum, yeah. and this is yeah the, that co curriculum coming in. Um, forming our students as human beings and not just as an academic in literature. Yes, um, amazing. I mean, it's um, it, increasingly in our policies we're talking about assessment being an integrated part of the teaching and learning, which I think you showcase beautifully. I'm also struck by the fact that what you are seeing in, in this project is those, some of those higher order skills that are really difficult to assess um, through our normal means sometimes. Um and um, and yes, we've had previous people saying maybe not on the podcast, but after the podcast that on, on occasion it is often the really high performing students that dislike the alternative methods the most because they've learned how to be really successful in performing in the traditional methods. Yeah, they've been trained. I mean, they've, they've been, been they've trained. been they're sort of the equivalent of your top athletes. I mean, there's um, I read this story about um, border collies where somebody said you shouldn't just you know think of how you can keep your border collie busy because you're you're working with a super athlete already and you're training it to want more and more and more of that and i think it's the same case with students i mean our students are extremely intelligent and extremely proficient at doing specific kinds of work and at figuring out what they need to do in order to perform well and i think that's where yeah where some of the resistance comes from um also because of the nature of the content of this essay which i don't think i actually um, said anything about what they what they need to do with their creative work is to look at the past, the present, and the future of the Afrikaans language, in whichever way they want. Um, and that, I mean, that's. I think it's a it's a, scaffolding is such an important part of this because um, they can't just draw from the past six weeks in my module to do this. This is it's almost kind of in the direction of the old capstone projects where they have to bring a lot of external knowledge, a lot of personal input, and a lot of um, really stuff from not just the hidden curriculum, but stuff just from their own lives in order to inform what they need to do here. And I think that's why um, that's why it's a nice assessment to me. Yeah, I, I really like it. I, I have to say that um, it, it also, it, 
what you just said, you know, the things that they have to bring and that they have to integrate and bring together in this. We've previously touched on, and we're not going to talk about it here, but this whole, um, the first thing that came to mind for me is I just read a thing just today saying that integrity is part of the hidden curriculum to some degree. So that's built in there in certain ways. I was curious as to exactly what the task is. But this also, um, in the face of the other AI, artificial intelligence, that bringing in all those different things and from your own context is um, is currently of the ways that's been put forward of still achieving, upholding academic integrity in the face of artificial intelligence being available. I would assume that your content is not that available either. Yeah, I don't want to be complacent, but I do think that this, this specific assignment is relatively well isolated. Um, I also, I, I mean, I said to them explicitly, if you're going to make a kind of a graphic art piece, um, you can't do it with something that generates it on the internet, um, just to cover that. But I think because the focus of this assignment is not to generate words that work in a certain sequence and fit a particular kind of pattern, um, they do tend to, yeah, I, I think it's relatively well isolated against those issues. The same with the first assignment. I mean, the first assignment in the module, um, they do have to go and do an interview with an actual living person. They have to do the transcription of the interview, and then they have to discuss that material. Um, and of course, there's, the, there's another simple practical point, and that's the point that having them write the assignments in Afrikaans um, also does a bit of isolation about you know, against some of the tech, um, but yeah, I mean, we have, I have colleagues who have integrated something like ChatGPT very successfully into their assignments and I have students purposefully work with it and critique the work it does in the language practice side, for example. Um, I'm very fortunate to be in a, in a department where we're allowed to, to do these kinds of things and to play around. So, yeah. That's great to hear. We'll get them on here at some point in time as yes, well. Yes, definitely. Maurice, <laughs> um, I'm curious. Um, we spoke about the student's ability to self-reflect on their work. And we've um, you know, also discussed with um, previous guests and participants in the podcast, the value of reflection um, for the lecturer. Um, can you share with us some lessons that you've learned from um, yeah, this, this assessment assignment? Maybe, yeah, maybe some lessons that you've learned or even things that surprised you even. Um, I think I was very struck by how, um, in a certain sense, how comfortable students are in this kind of assignment to share really, really personal stuff. Um, that struck me in terms of experiences they had, both positive and negative. Um, I think the most, the most striking um, kind of realization I came to was, uh, to me, Stellenbosch, was never really a foreign space or an alienating space or a place where I didn't feel at home immediately. And what came out in a large number of these assignments and what still comes out every year is how this this kind of a complex construct of Stellenbosch with certain political baggage linked to the Afrikaans language and everything that goes along with that um, really alienates many of the students, even though they sit in the subject that they choose to do. Um, it gives them an opportunity to grapple with those issues, to see those sensitivities and sometimes very, very personal and painful things in a historical context and to to try to get some sort of a, an academic and a scientific view in terms of, you know, the causes, the effects, 
and the potential futures, which is, of course, also the, I mean, the the kind of the underlying logic of this assignment is to get them thinking about this. And I was, I was pleasantly surprised when that started happening, you know, almost organically. So that that surprised me. I didn't oh. see that coming. And um, maybe a follow-up question, and since we have an unscripted podcast, <laughs> these questions just pop in. So um, are there ways, well, basically two things I was thinking. The one is, um, are your students, are these assignments just individual assignments, or are there ways to weave it back into the collective, almost like get a collective voice and, and or peer learning in that way? That's the one. And the other th- um, you know, idea that I thought of is, especially when you when you get that feedback from from the students or those basically raw emotions yeah. coming to the fore um is there an opportunity then almost like weaving back then um into teaching and learning perhaps or other ways to sort of um help with the integration again and not just the separation that surfaces from um you know from their experience Yes, I, I think there is. Um, in, in simple practical terms, um, one of the things I do is to make kind of a selection of the three or four really striking projects from a given year and to present them to the class as examples the following year with the kind of the footnote that they're not allowed to do the exact same thing because they have to do something new. Um, what, I, what I try to do um, in terms of integrating it into my own teaching and learning approach is when you give students this kind of non-traditional assignment, um, I've found I want to be upfront with them. Um, So I tell them, look, this is what I'm trying to assess. This is why I'm giving you this. This is not just, you know, not wanting to mark a large stack of essays, although it certainly helps. Um, And I think um, in explaining to them why and motivating to them why I'm giving this weird thing for them to do um, opens up a space in the classroom situation for discussions about assessment as such. Um, I never really thought about the, the, I never thought specifically and explicitly about the integrative approach, um, about that whole, you know, the constructive alignment thing um, until I was, well, with the help of my vice dean at the time was the person who had to write up our assessment policy for faculty. And I started thinking, well, okay, so this is actually how this fits into the mold. Kind of felt right to me, but I didn't really know what I was doing or why I was doing it. So following from that, I've simply started telling the students, you know, this is this is how it fits in. This is why we do it. We're not just giving you a test because some person in a book somewhere said we have to give you a test. And I give them the opportunity to ask questions. Um, and I also give them the opportunity to say, well, if you don't like this assignment, you're welcome to pitch your own kind of assignment that you can think can reach these potential outcomes in a better way. Because I have no issue with doing that if you think it's going to work better for you. I mean, it was very cool to me when I started doing it a few years ago. But I mean, yeah, I'm not the cool young lecturer anymore. So um, we have to keep tabs on what the students need because I think we we often tend to assume that you know there's this kind of a almost a you have to assess them in a way that they that's kind of forced into this concept of objectivity um of standardization of uniformity you know of sort of rubrics and i think um that takes a very important part of the person out of the equation um and if you i mean i don't see why we can spend so much time on making students you know really partners in their own learning 
I mean, surely it follows logically that we should also make them part of their assessments. It's, you know, it's, to me, it speaks for itself, really. Mm-hmm. Sense assessment is part of exactly. teaching and learning, right? Exactly. Well, Maurice, I always feel that by the time that we have to call a halt here, we've not even started to do justice to what um, lecturers are doing. But, um, yeah, I've, I think you've given us lots of food for thought. Um, on how we can be creative in assessments and what we can get out of that and what students can get out of that. Um, so, yeah, thank you for being here and sharing this with us this afternoon. I'm hoping that it will inspire others to similarly respond to um, to problems as opportunities. Oh, thank you so much, Maurice. And thank you also, um, yeah, thank you for leaning into your creativity and, um, yeah, with with that adaptability that comes with it and also guiding your students in the beautiful way that you do. Um, not just here's the assignment and off you go, but really, um, yeah, making it transparent, um, your why behind the way that you assess and the purpose thereof. And um, also bringing their voice then thereby in into your class and into the curriculum, into your, your practices. Um, so yeah, thank you for that and thank you so much for sharing with us. Thanks for the opportunity, it's been fun. Thank you. Until next time, thank you. Mm-hmm.